Um, our next speaker uh, is the Cato Institute's Director of Financial Regulation Studies, Jennifer Schultz. Jennifer has cemented her position with journalists and policymakers as sought-after free market voice on a number of critical topics, from cryptocurrency to the growing trend of environmental, social, and governance investing, known as ESG. Jennifer brings to Cato experience as a practitioner, having been a director at FINRA and a lawyer in private practice. On the topic of cryptocurrency, Jennifer has led the charge to position Cato as the only think tank in DC talking about cryptocurrency in a way that is practical and relevant. She has also worked with her colleagues in Cato's Center for Monetary and Financial Alternatives on proposing reforms to the Bank Secrecy Act, which has severely undercut Fourth Amendment and financial privacy protections. Jennifer has helped advise on a bill that was recently introduced in Congress to address this very issue. But among the biggest issues on her radar and the topic of her talk today is that of ESG. It seems you can't get through an article in the investment section without hearing about ESG. Many of the biggest financial firms in the world, from Vanguard to BlackRock, now offer ESG funds and integrate the framework into their decision making so how should we think about ESG in the context of the free market? Are they compatible? Jennifer is one of the few people thinking about free market ideas around ESG. In fact, an SEC commissioner, an SEC commissioner recently said that she needs to be involved in the comment process on new regulations. And on November 17th, Jennifer organized Cato's annual summit on financial regulation around the topic of ESG, which was covered heavily by the media and where she was joined by many influential speakers. If you're interested, you can find the recording of this event on our website at cato.org. And today she'll continue this conversation by outlining a free market view of ESG. Please join me in welcoming to the stage Jennifer Schulp. Thank you all for being here today, and it's always a pleasure to be in Chicago. I'm a Chicago native myself, so I'm always happy to get back to the city, especially seeing so many friendly faces. Um, so Leslie, thanks for the introduction, and she mentioned the topic of ESG, which is very po popular right now, a hot topic, not just investing, but in politics. But before we get started, I'm curious to see a show of hands, how many folks in the audience know what ESG is? Oh good, good. Because sometimes I give these talks and I, I start talking about acronyms and people are completely lost. I'm glad that this acronym has made it with a big enough headline so that I don't have to spend too much time getting into the details. I want to leave you with a few key takeaways in my, my short talk today that I don't think are getting enough attention, particularly because the discussion on environmental, social, and governance factors and in investing has tended to separate, not surprisingly and a bit unthinkingly, into two camps, red and blue. And given Peter's talk this morning about the fact that red and blue seem to neither be following a free market path, it should surprise no one when I say that I don't think either red or blue are thinking about this correctly. 
Um, so what I'd like to do is cut through a little bit of the noise and leave you with the first takeaway that first, ESG is too mushy of a term. And anyone that tells you that ESG is good or ESG is bad should spend just as much time telling you what they think ESG is in that conversation. Second, the government shouldn't be involved in either promoting or condemning ESG. And finally, the value of ESG and its staying power should be determined, no surprise here, by the market. First, let's start with ESG. As Leslie mentioned, a couple of weeks ago, I hosted the Cato Summit on Financial Regulation, which this year was a full-day conference devoted to ESG. I asked every panel to define what they were talking about when they talked about ESG. And while there were some valiant efforts at providing clarity, nine panelists, three moderators, and one fireside chat participant later, it was clear that ESG is not clear. One participant, Amanda Rose, a professor at Vanderbilt Law School, said it better than I could. Quote, ESG means different things to different people. That makes the term not very productive, and I wish people would stop saying it. I agree. Um, I don't think it makes a lot of sense to talk about ESG as kind of this umbrella term for all of the things that it's come to represent. To have a productive conversation, I suggest it's useful to differentiate ESG as value from ESG as values. Value refers to integrating financially material ESG factors when evaluating a company's economic prospects. Note, there's nothing new about ESG when it's seen from this, from this perspective. That, of course, doesn't mean that integrating ESG factors into financial valuation is cut and dried. But the process, determining when a factor is financially material, doesn't lend itself to one-size-fits-all pronouncements about the relevance of ESG, generally speaking. Values, on the other hand, refers to investing to achieve a particular outcome, not just a financial return. That's thinking about ESG as impact investing. Mostly progressive these days, the concept of impact investing has applied to all sorts of causes over the years. And regardless of political stripe, this type of ESG is comfortable with sacrificing investment returns in exchange for a values-based end goal. But this comes with an asterisk. Lots of marketing material over the past several years has claimed that ESG is a win-win situation, saying essentially that values equals value. That should raise a lot of red flags, obviously. And while values-based investing may have performed well in recent years, that seems to be tied to the fact that tech-heavy weighting in ESG funds or ESG investments and recent years of tech-heavy dominance in the stock market have made those investments go up. ESG funds seem to be down these days, and the research that ties value to values is, as, our keen, as one of our fireside chat participants, um, Aswath Demore, I always mess up his name, it's got a lot of letters, Aswath Demoterin, a professor at NYU Stern, um, who served as our chat, our participant, our participant in our fireside chat. This was a long setup for what was going to be a great line. The research that ties values to values 
is garbage. Um, what's important here is that there's been a lot of talking past each other when we're talking in the debate about ESG. For example, the asset management industry likes to say that they view ESG as a value, at least outside of the specific funds that are engaged in impact investing. But politicians on the right and the left see all ESG as values. Neither side is completely correct. And we need to keep that in mind as we think about ESG generally. So let's move to takeaway number two. Um, we need to be aware of any government intervention to either support ESG or to condemn it. Let's start with what's likely not a controversial proposition in this room. Um, the SEC has proposed a set of new risk disclosures that public companies are going to have to undertake when finalized to disclose massive amounts of information about those companies' climate risks, including their greenhouse gas emissions. Under the proposal, about 7,000 companies would have to report their climate-related risks and impact. The SEC, who has an interest in making sure these numbers are small, estimates that the new rules would raise the annual cost of compliance for public companies from $3.8 billion to $10.2 billion. And that's the SEC, again, who has an interest in keeping the numbers low. These rules are problematic in any number of ways. I wrote an article where I compared them to the Elizabeth Browning poem, How Do I Love Thee? Except this is obviously a how I dislike thee situation. Um, the SEC lacks the authority to promulgate rules where they're not related to information that investors find salient. And if climate risk is material to a business's financial prospects, value, it should already be being disclosed. But the SEC is looking to alter company behavior with these rules, values. Again, a problem. Um, the information is not at all useful to investors and it's very expensive. Um, potentially leading to a drag on the economy, um, absolutely leading to a massive wealth transfer from shareholders to the consultants, lawyers, and accountants that need to put these disclosures together. And the useless disclosure just adds to the pages and pages and pages of disclosure that are already provided to investors, um, decreasing the value of the disclosure that's already there. So where the SEC is moving, is a problem. Um, supporting ESG and values-based investing by the government should not happen. But things get trickier when some politicians have been saying that they're protecting free markets and focusing on the shareholder by banning ESG. That's also a problem. A recent Reuters analysis identified 44 bills and new laws in 17 conservative-led states seeking to penalize financial institutions that have taken what they view as ESG-motivated stances on issues such as gun control, climate change, and diversity, that these states argue deprive legitimate businesses of capital. For example, a letter in November 2021 from 19 states' attorneys general said that they are seeking to protect their state's economies, jobs, and energy independence from unwanted attacks on critical industries. That doesn't sound a lot like the free market, but yet they invoke the free market in the next sentence. Um, we 
will each take concrete steps within our respective authority to select financial institutions that support a free market and are not engaged in harmful fossil fuel industry boycotts for our state's financial services contracts. Uh, that's not the free market, folks, and that's a problem. Some states have required pension funds to divest from investments with certain managers or prohibited managers from doing business with state entities. But wholesale divestment orders of this type are motivated by the same values-driven inquiry that those issuing the orders object to. And they constrain the free market by imposing a state-sponsored ideological screen on financial institutions. This results in less competition, harming taxpayers and pension beneficiaries. And it creates an environment where every state feels empowered or compelled to add an increasing number of ideological or protectionist demands on financial institutions who wish to serve them. The final takeaway is the easy one. Just leave it to the market. We can debate what it means to be voluntary, given that there's a political element here, but it's clear that pressures for interest in climate risk, diversity, other social justice causes, and the like exist outside of state influence on both companies and investment firms. There have been a lot of voluntary disclosures and actions by companies and in investors. But most other steps to be taken are too far. If a company doesn't do well for pursuing ESG-type goals, if they don't financially perform, the market will enforce discipline uh, the way things are supposed to work. I'll say there's one place that I do suggest that we focus in this space, and that is where fiduciary duties are involved, um, to make sure that fiduciaries in retirement investing, asset management, and the leadership of public companies are, in, are acting according to their own duties rather than their own political beliefs. Um, but that's a limited place where ESG really shows the capacity to be harmful in a way that is different from just allowing companies and investment managers to take into account the preferences of their customers, their shareholders, and others who affect the company's bottom line. Um, I know I have a few minutes left for questions, and I'd be happy to take them. Stunned silence. Ooh. Thank you for your uh, excellent presentation. It's very interesting. Um, one of the things that I struggle with with ESG is is the the value judgment, or I guess values judgment, that goes into determining whether a particular company is doing the right thing or the wrong thing for that particular. Uh, criteria uh, that's applied there. That's why I have great difficulty um, uh, following these uh, these ESG uh, initiatives and funds because they're making um, implicit value judgments. So what what can be done uh, to try to bring some transparency to these assessments that are made uh, of these companies and their ESG compliance or violations? 
Sure, and I'll take that. You can take it a couple of different ways, but I'll think about it in terms of the ESG rating agencies. So we've seen a proliferation over the past 10 years, but even more so in the past couple of years, where companies are rated by ESG rating agencies as to whether or not they're good in terms of ESG. I don't know what that means. I don't think anyone knows what that means to be good in terms of environment, social, and governance. Um, an interesting kind of side note to this is prior to the war in Ukraine, everyone, particularly in Europe, assumed that guns were bad. So if you made guns, you didn't get a good ESG score. Well, suddenly Europe started thinking about the fact that, well, if you make guns and they end up in good people's hands for self-defense, that's good, so we should up their ESG scores there. All it does is come down to say for me that the ratings agencies shouldn't be given a lot of credence. Um, I've heard folks on the Hill talking about wanting to regulate them more in order to bring additional transparency. I think that's problematic. One, it, it kind of lends more support to the idea that this is a rating that's useful for anyone. Um, but two, it lends support to the idea that there's actually some sort of good that we're all working towards. And having folks on the Hill or folks at the Securities and Exchange Commission try to define what that good is, is not only a fool's errand, but a, but a terrifying one at that. Um, so my, my usual take is the best thing we can do is educate people to have them understand that if you're looking at a ratings agency, you really need to understand what's beneath that. And if the rating agency doesn't share that information, they shouldn't be being relied on. So bottom line is how paranoid am I to think that values is a coded word for the Trojan horse of leftist ideology? I don't think you're paranoid, but I don't think it's the full picture. Um, because we've seen over the years this type of values investing pop up in a lot of different contexts. In the 1980s, it was to end apartheid in South Africa. Um, I've dealt with um, situations where you've looked at socially responsible investing, which was a precursor to the ESG term in some ways, and that went multiple different directions. I've heard of biblically responsible investing. Um, we now have anti-ESG funds that invest specifically in tobacco, firearms, and alcohol. Um, those are all values-based investing as well. So while ESG in the media is certainly portrayed as that progressive values Trojan horse, I think it's important to keep in mind that the whole concept is not specific to, to progressive values themselves. Um, I think the place to really be concerned is where there's a disconnect between the fiduciary responsibilities, um, where you might be concerned that your asset manager is voting shares in such a way that is putting forth progressive policies that are irrelevant to the value of the investment. Um, that can be tough to get at because there's been so much research done all over the place conflicting 
about whether or not some of these things do have financial value. I think we're going to continue to see development in that space, not just from kind of the, the legal cause of action, but also in terms of the research. Thank you. Uh, hi, uh, Ms. Schultz. Thank you uh, for your presentation. I, I get a kick out of this because we are the contrarians in Chicago in this room right now. Uh, so in that light, is there a contrarian Cato-endorsed investment you would recommend? I, I, okay, so <laughs> with every swing in one direction, there's an equal swing opportunity coming the other way. Is there a backswing that you're seeing in this challenging time that we could get behind to support? Yeah, there absolutely is a backswing. And I'll say this is not investment advice, just like I never say it's not legal advice. But we're seeing kind of what is called an anti-ESG backlash. Um, we're seeing that in the political space in the way that I described, but we're also seeing it in investment vehicles themselves. Um, there's been several new asset managers that have come about over the course of the past year who have made it their purpose just to specifically say that they are only interested in chasing value. Um, and their interest has nothing to do with ESG. You can judge for yourself how much of that is marketing, much like how much of ESG is marketing. But we're definitely seeing the market starting to react to people who are not interested in having the progressive values being a Trojan horse in their space. Um, I think we're going to see more and more of that. And I think as we've hit more difficult market conditions, we're also going to see a lack of patience by a lot of investors with ESG funds that they had rushed to, thinking that they can do good at the same time that they're investing, learning that A, a it's probably not having much of an impact, but B, they're not making the money that they'd like to make. So I, I think we'll see a, a market correction, generally speaking, as we move forward here. Response to that question, uh, Perth Tolley, do you know Perth? She's worked with the Cato Institute and has created the Life and Liberty Indices, specifically following Cato guidelines. guidelines. So I'd encourage everybody in here to Google Perth Tolley. Uh, might be a place to look at your investment. Um, on the ESG thing, it seems to me that it's really about activism without uh, so getting sort of some sort of activism and control over the companies without actually having board seats or um, owning shares, like shareholder activism. That, that's my thought on it. It, it. There's a lot of energy, there's a lot of power that's being wielded here. I'm still trying to figure it out. It's not clear what's going on. But I did have a question that's sort of in your um, area in parallel, you sort of touched on it, and, and it's a concern to me because it seems like the Federal Reserve is taking up the mantle of addressing climate change. Um, and it seems to be below the radar, but there is stuff that's happening right now. They're convening seven banks to go through this sort of uh, uh, climate change sort of stress test. Um, I've actually talked uh, to Charlie Evans, who's the president of the Chicago Fed, and asked him why does the Fed have the right to address, or why is it the Fed's purview to address climate change? And very confidently, his answer is that it affects um, financial stability, and therefore it's within the Fed's purview to address climate change. And here we have an unelected, very, very powerful body 
that may be making very significant investments. I don't know, is this on the, it's not exactly the ESG, but it's probably one of my biggest concerns, and I would hope that it's on Cato's radar. I would say it absolutely is, and I would point anyone that's interested in that topic to the panel that we had discussing it at the conference that we had on November 17th. So we did have a panel that was talking about ESG and financial stability. Um, the Fed's role in climate change, as I think with any of the financial regulator roles, the interest needs to be in solely the financial aspects of it. The, the Biden administration has come out on all of these, and we've seen it with what the SEC has done, and said that, that combating climate change needs to be a whole-of-government approach. Well, it's not the financial regulators' jobs to, climb, to combat climate change. Not only is it not within their purview, they're not going to be very good at it. Um, so the Fed needs to keep that in mind. But um, the questions as to where climate change starts to touch financial stability are questions that we discussed during that panel. Um, and I would recommend anyone to take a, take a listen to learn some more.